Yes, you're very welcome back to On The Record. Kieran Cuddy with you until one o'clock. Now, some listeners out there, they might recall the spate of airplane hijackings in the 70s and the 80s. Palestinian gunmen, far-left German organisations, Japanese communists, among the <laughs> culprits. Uh, more forgotten today, however, is the story of Aer Lingus Flight 164, which was motivated not by political ideology, but rather the third secret of Fatima. Uh, this story is about to be brought to the stage by the Abbey Theatre in a new play entitled A Holy Show. Here to tell us about it, well, not so much the Abbey Theatre production, but rather what actually happened mm. in the 1980s. It's Donald Fallon from the uh, Come Here To Me blog. Donald, uh, it's it's just bonkers the it different is. things that this it is. involves. And, it? Um, you know, as we, as we gear up for a papal visit, uh, let us remember today a man who hijacked an Aer Lingus plane insisting that the Pope of the day, John Paul II, the Holy Goalie, uh, released the third secret of Fatima. And to us, you know, this story is absolutely ludicrous. But, you know, against the backdrop of quite frequent plane hijackings in the 1970s and 80s, it was something very different and very, very frightening. And the, it's about to be brought to uh, the stage by the Abbey Theatre. I'm looking forward to seeing this, actually, uh, a play written by Janet Moran. She recently played an absolute blinder uh, in their adaptation of Ulysses, the hardest role in Ulysses. You know, she was Molly Blue, and she did it brilliantly and I don't envy anyone trying to bring Joyce's Ulysses to the stage and perhaps this tale is a little bit like Ulysses because it's absolutely bizarre it's somewhat confusing uh, but it's more than worthy of our time Alright, speaking of time the time we're talking about the early 80s like, it was a fairly grim yeah, time uh, here wasn't it? May 1981 in Ireland you know, is absolutely positively grim uh, because international eyes were on the country and not for the right reasons you know, the H-block hunger strikes were well underway Bobby Sands was three days away from death uh, when this incident happened and there was massive of tension, you know, between the governments of London and Dublin. You had just two characters that were not going to budge. In one corner, you had Margaret Thatcher uh, and the Dublin government of the day, which Thatcher was totally allergic to as far as she was concerned. Uh, So in the context of what was happening in Ulster, uh, the hijacking of a plane travelling between Dublin and London is very, very alarming stuff. And people immediately fear the worst, quite naturally, that it's something to do uh, with the IRA. So it becomes apparent very quickly, though, that it's not politics that's at play here. It's something else entirely. And plane hijackings, they were in vogue, weren't they, oh, they, were the very much, they were very much in fashion. They were the fidget spinner of the 1970s. Everyone, <laughs> you know, every, everyone carried out at least one of them. Uh, and if you look at the people that were doing it, it, it's all political radicals of the left and the right. The PFLP, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. They were particularly active in the field. There were others as well. The Japanese Red Army once hijacked a plane, demanding it be flown to North Korea. Uh, some of the militant groups involved in hijacking planes have kind of fallen into obscurity now. In America, there was the Republic of New Africa who hijacked a plane and landed it in Cuba. And I think Ireland's only really engagement with a hijacked plane before this came in June 1979. It was very, very weird. Uh, a Serbian nationalist and an anti-communist called Nikola Kavaja, he hijacks a flight and he later claims that he had the intention of crashing it into the headquarters of the Yugoslav Communist Party. <laughs> he doesn't do that, thankfully. He lands it in Shannon Airport and he's arrested by the Gardaí. And later he had the audacity to claim that Osama bin Laden stole the idea of crashing passenger jets into buildings from him which is just amazing. But these could be very long, drawn-out sieges. You know, in July 1968, the PFLP hijacked a passenger flight from London to Rome, and that went on for 40 days. So this was very much something that was happening right across the world at the time. The far left and the far right were both in the business of doing it. So tell us then about this particular flight, Aer Lingus Flight 164. How is it? What happened? Uh, Look, for Aer Lingus, it's it's, um, it's one of those routes. You just do it all day, and you keep doing it all day. Dublin to London. You know, Aer Lingus Flight 164... Uh, before the 10-hour hostage ordeal began, there were 113 passengers and crew on board the plane. And it was a time before, you have to emphasise this, for, especially for younger listeners, You know, it was a time before modern airport security. So you could bring basically anything you wanted onto a plane uh, and liquids are on board. 
the flight leaves on time. It's making an early approach to Heathrow. It's done well when this ordeal begins. And one of the cabin crew years later, she talked about seeing a passenger kind of frantically darting towards the toilets as the plane began its ascent, uh, descent. And she remembered that when I got up and turned around, this passenger was there and he was covered in what he said was petrol. He had two little vials and he said there was cyanide gas. That was the very start of it. So, you know, just very, very dramatic stuff to be happening. So who was this uh, petrol-soaked passenger then who, who uh, intervened with in this In folklore, in popular memory, he's remembered as an Irishman. And this story is often joked about across the world. Now, the Irish are mad. You know, you hear about the time they hijacked a plane to get the third secret of Fatima. He's not an Irishman, he's an Australian. Uh, by the name of Lawrence James Downey, who'd been living in Ireland for some time. Well, Larry Downey, I'll forgive people <laughs> for thinking yeah, yeah. He's, he's Irish. <laughs> we'll let them away with that. But he, he'd arrived in Ireland, apparently via Mexico, uh, in 1979, and just lived this absolutely uh, incredible life. And he became totally obsessed, you know, completely and utterly obsessed with Fatima and the third secret of Fatima. And I suppose maybe younger listeners may be unfamiliar with what that means. Yeah. Uh, Fatima is a town in Portugal where it was claimed the Virgin Mary appeared to three children in 1917. Uh, something that the Catholic Church kind of declared to be worthy of belief and it was said the Virgin Mary shared three secrets with these youths firstly a vision of hell quote Our Lady showed us a great sea of fire which seemed to be under the earth plunged in this fire were demons and souls in human form like transparent burning ember the second secret they claimed concerned her instructions on how to save souls from hell but the problem was you know the third secret what was it and only two of the three secrets were destined to be shared by the church for many, many years to come. And people chose to believe that the third secret, whatever it was, was some sort of apocalyptic vision that the church was deliberately concealing from people. So and, that's and, what's up. And Larry Downey himself, uh, the Australian Irishman or Irish Australian man, yeah. was one of them. <laughs> He's one such individual. And like years later, when they, when they start digging on this man, who is he? He'd been in the Australian Armed Forces. He'd been a champion boxer before he turned to God. He was a Trappist monk for a while before he was expelled from the order. This guy drifts around the world ultimately establishes a language school in Shannon in County Clare, but all the while he is still obsessed with the issue of the Third Secret of Fatima. So what happened on the plane? Well, not calming fears, uh, he demands to be taken to Tehran. So again, <laughs> right. this adds to the belief that this could be kind of Islamist radicals or something. Uh, but owing to a shortage of fuel, it was decided instead to land in, in, in France. And from France, he makes his demands. And what he wants is the publication of a statement, basically a religious manifesto, which runs to nine pages and which is thrown out of the plane by the captain to the authorities below. And the Sindo newspaper in Dublin, the Sunday Independent says, look, we, in principle, we'll print this. If this saves the lives of the people on that plane, we'll print this nine page manifesto. Then he wants to be taken to the Pope and he wants the Pope to release the third secret of Fatima. So this is a man who everyone on board thinks has two bottles of petrol on him. They turn out to be water. The idea of smuggling an oversized bottle of shampoo on a plane today it's not yes. possible this guy claims he's two bottles of petrol uh, and so people are willing to give him what they want uh, and he had a bit of a background uh, like this guy this wasn't totally out of character no no I mean he'd been on an amazing journey he'd been thrown out of the, of, of the top as monks but one of the most remarkable aspects of the story if there's someone else that's going to steal the thunder if there's another character in this tale it's Albert Reynolds, because Albert Reynolds, the Minister for Transport, arrives onto the scene in France. And you know this had never happened before in an Irish context, in that there'd never been an Irish plane taken before. So no one really knew what to do. Uh, and Reynolds, Government Minister, here off the hour, he arrives at Dublin Airport en route to France, and the press are there waiting for him. And there's a brilliant exchange between Reynolds and a British journalist, uh, and it's captured forever and reeling in the years. But the journalist says, has he made any demands beyond wanting to go to Iran? Yes, the publication of the third secret of Fatima. What on earth is that? And Reynolds says, it's a religious secret, so it's not for me to say what it is. <laughs> Reynolds arrives out in France, and one journalist who was there with him remembered years later that what really annoyed him, he said, 
Reynolds turned to me and said, that's our bloody aircraft. We have to get that aircraft back. That's our Lingus's plane. You know, we have to get the plane. Uh, and on the plane, people remained remarkably calm, you know, and, and, and yeah. Reynolds and the negotiating team actually succeed in convincing Downey to release uh, the women and children on board, firstly. But French diplomacy is a very different beast from Irish diplomacy. They're not going to sit there and listen to this guy talk forever. The French special forces basically rush onto the plane 10 hours into the ordeal. And this is witnessed by millions of people all over the world. It's a big news story. Albert Reynolds, trust him, he doesn't miss a beat. The French have got on, they've liberated the plane, and on he goes. The Irish government minister Brilliant. walks on the plane before anyone steps off it, essentially liberating them this, and the Aer Lingus Like plane. Charlie Ahi winning the Tour de France with <laughs> Stephen Roach on the Champs-Élysées. Or Ahi showing up on the Late Late Show tribute to the Dubliners. Yeah, you know? <laughs> exactly. It's someone else's moment, it's the French Special Forces moment, but there's Reynolds on the plane. Uh, Downey, uh, you mentioned that he got thrown out of the Trappist monks. What, what else do we know about him? Well, thankfully in Ireland we have that, the, the, the 30-year rule in a national arc. Archives. So, you know, files relating to this incident have, have actually been released and they're, they're quite amazing. You know, they give good insight into him and what he was thinking. And he said, I went to Ireland thinking she was an oppressed underdog. I tried to help you in the hope that I might be accepted in the land of my ancestors. But they hated me without cause and told me not to interfere. Uh, and it later emerged this wasn't the first time he planned the kind of deranged violent act. Uh, he threatened in Australia to blow up oil refineries, buildings and installations that the government there didn't step in to solve the war in the Indonesian island of Timor. So he had a very strange way of trying to bring change to the world, you know, in different parts of the world. Uh, but just a, a, a remarkably peculiar character. And I assume some of the fallout from this was that it became harder to smuggle petrol onto oh, yeah, the plane. Yeah, I mean, one effect of all of this was very long, long lines at Dublin Airport uh, in the weeks that followed. I think they've been getting longer ever since as well. And Downey was interviewed about it, uh, for example, the documentary called Holy Hijacker uh, in which he tells the tale and he claims the hijack itself was only a bluff the whole idea was a publicity stunt Alright Donald Fallon another hidden history Donald thank you very much for that that is it for me today Off the Ball is up next my thanks to the production team Roisin Davis John O'Donovan Jojo Cardozo and Peter Malloy are on sound to play us out today is the birthday of one John Steins he was in White Snake he was in a lot of different I bands you would have gone with leaving on a jet plane leaving on a jet plane <laughs> we, were going to, we were thinking about it no we didn't we went with John Steins he was in Thin Lizzy for a year 82 to 83 which is when they released Thunder and Lightning which included this classic enjoy your Sunday